No, I mean, L.A. is an artist town in yeah. a lot of ways. There's a lot of work for people who can make pictures out here, whether it's a painting or a video or whatever. Anybody can conjure up an image. It's a, it's a good town, you know? It's just a tough uh, industry. I mean, oh, yeah. show business and, and art generally. They're both tough. That's why, you know, um, they're, yeah, they're both incredibly tough <laughs> for sure. You can get discouraged listening to people talk about it. But I've survived both, knocking wood. Um, L.A. is a very mean town. It sure so? is. Well, it's showbiz, and there's a lot of money. Whenever there's a lot of money, there's a lot of mean people. There's a lot of there's a lot of bad feeling when lots of money is involved. But uh, there's also a lot of work. So, yeah. you know, it's a boom town, always, kind of. You're in the world of fine art now, which seems to be, I mean, there's even more money to be had there. That's an even screwier business in a lot of ways. Yeah. I mean, I feel like I'm just jumping from ice flow to ice flow. You know, I don't try, I don't, I don't try to obsess over it, you know, because it's a little depressing, the business end of, of the art world. Was it something that you had been trying to break into earlier. I mean, it's, it almost seems like what I've seen around, you know, the, like the letter paintings, for example, that it was almost a, a happy coincidence that people were actually interested in wanting to pay quite a bit of money for those. Yeah. The word paintings is what got me in the art world. I always wanted to be in the art world, of course. Who, what artist doesn't? What yeah. artist doesn't want to be his own or her boss and do the, do your own thing? I think that's a dream of any, any artist. Unless you're really in love with making movies or making TV mm -hmm. shows. And that's usually a director or a writer. The art department in a, on a movie or TV show is full of a bunch of dreamers who sort of want to be doing something else, I think. You kind of fell into that in a way as well. Oh, I was totally into that because I had to make money and yeah. raise, raise a family and pay the mortgage. And it wasn't bad. You know, I got, I was so lucky early on to do Pee Wee's Playhouse right out of the Right out, right out of the gate, and uh, so that set me up, and yeah. uh, I got to be the Pee Wee guy and do pretty interesting, fun stuff, you know. But it's still working for somebody else, and still having to compromise. I mean, I suspect when you were kind of at you know at the top of your your game there, following Pee Wee, and you know certainly you were in demands. You weren't being approached to do your own thing. Somewhat my own thing. It's more so the so-called Pee Wee thing, you know. Which let's get it. Let's get the such and such. You, what was the name of the? Um, there was like the, the. It was Pee Wee, but Cowboys. Oh, that's what was my second. One of my second big ones. Third big ones was uh, Riders in the Sky yeah. for CBS. Yeah, with the great cowboy group Riders in the Sky, who are still out on the road. That was my first big flop. You know, that's where I learned that uh, everything. What, wasn't gold. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, that was a very clear, that was a very Should have clear seen instance, it comment, you know? Yeah, of them just being like, hey, let's take this thing. In hindsight, it was magic in a bottle with Pee Wee, right? I mean, it was well, like. Well, we had Pee, we had the character of Pee Wee Herman, yeah. which was magic. And already hot as a pistol when I came along, you'd already done Pee Wee's Big Adventure with Tim Burton. And uh, so, you know, you had magic already. You just kind of jumped on. But even so, everything has to go right. I mean, even with you know you and Gary Panter and a lot of very smart, creative people. Yes, yeah, it was it was the perfect uh, combination of people to get it done. Especially with my pal Gary Panter and Rick Heitzman, uh, we were the three main designers, and that was it was like hanging out with your best yeah. buddies, which it was. 
And uh, that was good chemistry. Plus, Paul respected us as artists. The whole thing was just completely uh, rare in television. Probably spoiled you it in spoiled terms of TV, me. right? Yeah, that's why I thought, well, everything is going to be groovy from now on. And it was kind of. I went from right from that. I jumped over and did a Peter Gabriel video called Big Time. And then I did a thing called Shining Time Station that had Ringo Starr in it and Thomas the Tank Engine. And that mm-hmm. was, you know, I was kind of, you know, it was, you know, it was good for a little while. But then, you know, let's show that showbiz. Something's going to always go wrong. Always. Did you find it rewarding, though, at the same level as the work that you do now? Sure. Yeah. I, I was completely uh, happy for years and years because it was, you know, it was great. I had a bit of a respect and a bit of uh, leeway to do my own thing because I was from the Pee Wee gang. And, um, yeah. And I got to uh, do my own projects every now and then. I did a, my own film for um, Liquid Television, mm. a sh- five-minute puppet film called Bill and Willis. And I would pitch my own stuff all the time, me and Mimi, my wife, Mimi Pond. But that never happened. But uh, the projects, like I said, because of the Pee Wee brand, I got, I got fun stuff. You know, I never had to design a soap opera set or something like that. You know, it was always fantasy based, wacky kid stuff or, or rock video fantasy stuff. The stuff they were looking for was in the Pee Wee mold, but it was, it was also, it was what you were doing. I mean, it's you, what I, I did it. Yeah. I you could you do played it. an important part in creating that aesthetic. Yeah. Yeah. I did. And it was right up my alley. And I, but, um, you know, it's like the old problem of a hit song, you know. <laughs> yeah. And one of those things that I, I suspect is sort of hard to find people who you can complain about to. Hell yeah, it is. <laughs> it's still hard. I'm, I'm complaining to you and you don't want to hear it. <laughs> <laughs> Just for the step, you know, again, like ultimately, at least, you know, in hindsight, good problem to have. I mean, it, uh, of it feels. Of course it is. Nobody wants to hear you complain about it. No, no. I, I've been lucky as hell. And I've had a very rare uh, experience, you know, I got to do the coolest TV shows. And then I got to jump from TV right into the fine art world. And before that I was in the publishing world as an illustrator. So I've been able to um, be all those things. How quick was that jump? Did it feel immediate or were you kind of trying to figure out what was next for a while there? <laughs> well, getting into the illust- publishing world was pretty difficult. It took yeah. me about three or four years. You New moved York. to New York. Yeah. Did the whole thing. I SVA. moved there. I went to SVA, just one class with Art Spiegelman. That was enough. <laughs> yeah. You're like, I, you're, I'm, I'm good now. I'm, I'm an artist. I met enough people, <laughs> you know, and uh, all about Eve, you know. And then I struggled for about a th- little over three years to get published. And then that started happening. And then I had about almost two years of, like, working freelance for magazines. And that was great. And also, at the same time, I was developing that puppet show thing. I was doing puppet shows just for fun at house parties, homemade puppet stuff. And then the, um, the the jump to showbiz was very quick. Within a year, I first did a show down in Nashville, moved back to Nashville for a few months from New York and did a kid's show there, used that portfolio up in New York and got right into the Pee Wee gig. So that was all within a year. So the jump into the television was really quick. Was that single class at SVA, was it, was it helpful? It was helpful a lot. I just uh, – I've told it. A lot, but I, I just went and stalked Art Spiegelman in the, in the halls of SVA, and and he, he let me sit in on his cartooning class, which was once a week on Fridays, and that's where I met a lot of great cartoonists, and uh, I got to be um, 
pick Art's brain. And I got to hang around even Art's studio and watch him draw Mouse. You've had Art on the show a few times, and he's very he's very pragmatic. I mean, he's very like very matter of fact, especially when it comes to the business. As somebody who is really really just starting out, who you know just moved to the big city, what kind of advice did he give you? <laughs> he was kind of just starting his rise to, yeah. to 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 comic superstardom at the time. You know, he hadn't finished Mouse yet. And Raw uh, was already Raw going was concerned. going, yeah. but it was kind of an esoteric thing a bit. You know, it wasn't like nowadays with the Nets. He hadn't won his Pulitzer yet. No, he was still like a uh, pretty a famous guy in underground comics, and uh, he just he just kind of uh, he just ignored me most of the time. <laughs> you were just a goofy a goofy southern I kid, just this yeah. dumbass from Tennessee yeah. who just kind of drifted in, and uh, I didn't do well in his class either. I didn't do the final project i think he was perturbed about that because he'd gone out of the way and let me sit in there and i didn't what happened on your end of the bargain you were clearly determined to do this you moved to the city you stalked art spiegelman you got all the way and then like you just dropped off well i had this horrible job at the empire diner over on 10th avenue Mm -hmm. as a short order cook working a graveyard shift and that was just exhausting yeah it was a full-time job that's that's like that's like the new york city experience though you really dove in i did i went all the way in and i saw new york nightlife like crazy you know, right around the corner from the Chelsea Hotel and Plato's Retreat and, mm-hmm. you know, and punk rock was still kind of lingering. And I saw a lot of stuff all night long. <laughs> I fucked around and um, did not do the last project was publish your own comic book. I, yeah. just, I just couldn't do it. I I uh, failed. Which is kind of crazy because, like, if there's one thing, when I look at all the stuff you've done, the common thread seems to be just diving in and doing it, not accepting no as an answer. Yeah, why not? I've always had an existential viewpoint like that ever since I was a little kid. It's, do it, you know, why not? You know, this is your world too. And what's the worst that can happen? You know, you're not going to go to jail or anything. <laughs> Well, if things go really wrong, I mean, it's it's always a possibility. Things could go south. And, of course, that's what youth is about, being naive, not uh, realizing maybe the dangers or being excited by the danger because you think you're bulletproof, you know, that kind of thing. At what point did you realize that you could – like being an artist was a job that one could actually have and subsist on? I think – by my third year in New York, I felt that I was going to make it somehow. But ahead of that, I mean, obviously you had had some idea or had seen... I did have an idea about it, but I had no... It wasn't real at mm-hmm. all. I mean, I was going to go to college, and I did, and I was major in paint, painting. But, you know, there was no galleries. There was no professional artists around except for my teachers. So none of it was a reality. And I had very bad advice from the teachers. They just, you know, well, you're on your own now, kid. You know? <laughs> That's not really advice. <laughs> no, nothing. <laughs> well, we taught you how to make etchings yeah. and stretch a, make a stretcher frame. Okay, see ya. I think there's this, there is this sort of pervasive idea in art school in general that you're not going to make it as a fine artist. Like, yeah. And 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 over the years, they've kind of evolved. I mean, SVA is absolutely like this now. They've all kind of evolved into trade schools. Well, that's a good thing. Uh, it was all very vague back in the seven, late 70s also. Uh, and, of course, there was a heavy pessimism with all the students. That was the 70s, too. People were very pessimistic. I just – I don't know how I got around all that. 
I really don't. I look back on it now, and it's sort of a miracle that I went through that minefield. I guess um, I just was, like I said, it's like I believed that it was my world too, and I had a shot just as good as anybody else. And, and then I was also very naive and very ignorant of the world and uh, just had naive that naive energy and faith. <laughs> That's as simple as that. It's an interesting combination of like steely determination, but also, I mean, you do seem to have always been kind of medium agnostic when it comes to the actual art. Whatever it took, you know, I always believed if you could draw, you could do anything. You know, if you could draw a picture of it, you could make a 3D model of it, you could make it into a cartoon, you could make it whatever. And I was always had rock solid faith in my drawing ever since I was like four years old. You know, I was the kid who could draw. I was the gunslinger of the school and nobody could, you know. So I always had that chip on my shoulder as far as drawing. And then I got to New York and I was surrounded by people that were a million times better than me. Mm. And that's how I learned too. I had to like uh, step it up. And New York did a fire under me and I'm really so happy that I went. It made me a... it. It, it made me so much better as an artist. And uh, I got good enough to uh, get jobs and make a living for a while. One of the common threads I think we come back to a lot on the show, you know, musicians are certainly like this, especially people from, you know, rural areas outside of really major cities is this idea of kind of finding your group of weirdos, like finding yeah. like-minded people and realizing that that actually exists. That's it wasn't completely important to me. It was finding your group, finding the group of people that uh, – that's important for an artist, whatever you do, musician, painter. Realizing poet, that there is writer. art to be made kind of outside of They're there, yeah. yeah. And, they, and, and uh, they give you feedback, and it's just great to be in a community of artists. You got to. I mean, the myth of the lone genius is bullshit. You got to be around other people doing it. I mean, there's exceptions to the rule yeah. some people, but most people should, especially when you're young, be around other people that are, that are doing it. I speak to a lot of cartoonists. I mean, it's an interesting one, right? I mean, they tend to be, they're often introverted people. And, yes. And in a way that kind of lends itself well to the profession because you do, I mean, we're, we're in your workshop right now. It's, yeah. you know, granted there's some sunlight, so it's, but, but you do at some point need to kind of like lock the door and get away from the it's world. It's a long, it's a lonely job, um, being an artist, especially a cartoonist. It's very, uh, very intensive labor, very intensive craft. It was one of the hardest things I ever did was being a cartoonist. It's very challenging, totally underrated as a craft, uh, which I learned the hard way, you know, it's, uh, I, uh, um, making a nice looking comic page was, man, took a while. There's a million things to juggle. It is like a rare art form, though, that does afford you the ability to kind of be your own boss, right? To really do every single aspect of it. I mean, that's something that it sounds like you've struggled with over the years. Obviously, that autonomy and money aren't always connected <laughs> or rarely are. Like I well, yeah, that, I mean, comics got me out. That comics took me to New York City. Yeah. You know, it got me out of the South. Comics changed my life. As far as the money goes, again, I was naive about that. I always was. I just, just had the naive hope that the money would come from somewhere, but I knew it wasn't going to be a lot with underground comics. I, I knew that much. There was no money. So I was going to be an illustrator too, which I was. In the eighties, it was the last gasp of the magazine world. Mm -hmm. Let's, and, uh, you could still, you could still rise through the ranks and make a good freelance living as an illustrator. But the comics were my passion, you know, to 
to tell us my story. That's why I wanted to do them. I was mostly interested in autobiographical stuff. I'd seen Justin Green's Binky Brown comic, yeah. and uh, Bob Armstrong did some great stuff in um, Arcade magazine. In fact, Arcade was a big influence on me in my late last year of school. I saw that. It was already a few years old, and that's where art. That's where I first learned about art. Mm. It was through Arcade, Art Spiegelman. And there was a lot of – it was like the second wave of undergrounds, late 70s. And there was a lot of autobiographical stuff going on by then, and that's what really got me going and thinking about comics again. Not necessarily doing a funny characters or stuff, but telling real stories with it, a chronicler of real life. Did you have a specific story that you wanted to tell? I mean, did you get into Autobio? I did. I did. The, my best comic I did was for a, um, a little indie comic called The Bad News that Kaz edited. And he was doing, while everybody was still at, a lot of people were at, still at SVA. I guess I was too. And it was uh, about a six, seven page comic called Bridge. It was about my childhood in Chattanooga. That was my finest work, I thought. That was really, really hard to do. And I thought it was crap when I first finished it, but it's held up okay. Autobio is always interesting to me because I just assume that my life's not particularly interesting to other people. It wouldn't necessarily be the first thing I would want to tell. Obviously, like it, it is a lot of people's way into the medium. Yeah. I guess I just wanted to capture the culture, too, through mm. my life. You know, the reality of somehow. I didn't think of myself as... F Necessarily always being it being autobiographical, but definitely grounded in in um, the times I lived in with 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 real characters, not fantasy characters, not talking animals or or science fiction or anything like that. You know, I wanted to be like a short story writer or something like that, only with comics. And, I, and the Harvey Peeker's comics had just come out. I, I was I really loved that, and of course, Crumb's stuff was always a big big influence. Of any kid who came up through the 70s. Yeah, so I, I did manage to do one thing, that one thing about my <laughs> childhood. And then I did a, I did this funky thing called Miss Carr for High Times Magazine. It was yeah. like a woman with a car head, and that was my crazy, druggy, surrealist humor. <laughs> You've lived a, a lot of life since then. You know, you, you have had some interesting experiences. They put a book out. They made they made a documentary about your life. Yeah. Do you feel like that sort of sense of autobiography continues to feed itself into the art? I mean, is that still, you know, a kind of conduit for you to tell some of those stories? Well, I don't think about my own story all that much. I've been lucky enough I always say, I've said this a million times, everybody wants their story told. Yeah. It's one of the most basic human impulses there is. I mean, you stand on stage and tell that story. I do. I, I have a talk that I've been doing for years. It's captured in the movie. I did a TED Talk version of it. I've done, I've, I've done it oh, almost a hundred times. Jeez. And, uh, so, but that's where I get that out, I guess. And the movie, um, really told my story well. And that movie was a mind blower. That really changed my life. And uh not many people get that. <laughs> you know. They did a good job of capturing you you at the time and obviously like your name is out there in a way it wasn't before. The the word painting is, had come along already, so I suspect there was already some interest, you know, in the fine art world. But can you kind of put your finger on how your life has changed in the years since the movie? So seven or so years? Yeah, it's been six years ago now. So, wait. Seven years, yeah. you're right. Seven years ago. Well, number one, it's been good for business. <laughs> <laughs> it definitely um, made me uh, a more of a popular artist 
and uh, more people started buying art. You know, that's just that's the bottom line right there. That was good. I mean, that was already starting, right? I mean, the, the word it paintings. was doing well. Yeah, and I did a little better. I mean, it didn't explode or anything, but it definitely didn't hurt. And then that started my talk, my stage talk that I do, uh, that I'm still doing. We formulated that for the movies, yeah. and uh, I still do it. So that's given me another job, another source of income is to travel around and do that. Uh, that's kind of leveled off now. I don't do it as much as I used to. And just the whole ego trip of being um, a minor celebrity, <laughs> you know, very minor, but still a a person who has a documentary about them out there on Amazon and Netflix and, you know, being a a public figure in a way, that is, I don't know, I'm still kind of figuring what how, what that yeah. means. It's certainly a nice ego trip when people recognize you on the street and stuff. Who does, you know, I, that sounds vain saying that, but yeah. that's the truth. You live in a place people move to to not be recognized <laughs> on the street. It's nice. It's nice to be uh, recognized. Yeah. It's nice to be remembered and thought of. Of course it is. Anybody would. And, and you know, people will judge me for saying that. Oh, he's so hmm. full of himself. But no, man, anybody would like it. And I loved it. And I still love it. Yeah. I mean, you you know, you want to say that you obviously like I'm, I'm compelled to make art. I would make art regardless of if it was making me money or if people cared. But part of it is getting it out there, getting in front of people. Absolutely. That's the number one thing. You gotta get it out there, and uh, it's and if you make a lot of money off of it, great. But even if you don't, that's fine. At least at least you got your stuff out to as many people as possible. That's always been important to me. Some people would scoff at it again, like, "Oh no, I only do it for myself," and they had to drag it out of me. No, that's bullshit. Yeah. Anybody who makes art wants as many people as possible to see it. Was it less rewarding when it was, you know, felt like it was somebody else's vision? You know, obviously, like, not only was Pee Wee Paul Rubin, but it was, there was a network, there were 8 oh, million yeah. cooks involved. Totally less rewarding. And I would never really get the credit. That's yeah. what showbiz is. And you got to accept that. Somebody else is going to take the credit. You know, nobody who knows who who knows art directors, <laughs> and it, and it's that's just the way it should be. It's a glamorous business, and there's only room for a few stars: the literal actor stars and the director producer. Everybody else is just kind of anonymous. And it's you know, I accepted that. I got tired of it because of my ego, but uh, the money was good. When did you do your first word painting? About 1998. That's uh. 20 years ago now. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, they took off right really fast. That's uh, within a few months of doing it. I already, I had a gallery and I had my first show. That was, that was happy days. <laughs> yeah. Your name was on a thing and people were there to I see. I had you. a gallery show at a good gallery yeah. in Los Angeles, California. And I was getting reviewed. I was an artist, you know, I was a fine art, you know, I was doing my thing. And, uh, that was I thought that would never happen. I thought I was going to be in TV forever, and so that was a bigger thrill than the movie or anything else was getting. And as far as my career goes, when I got into the art world, that was that was very satisfying. It's got to be a bit of a surprise that you know, twenty years later, you're still going strong. On it that is. specifically. <laughs> I'm staring at one right now. Yeah, I know. I know. It's just again, I don't like to think about it too much. You know, <laughs> the jinx it. You know, yeah. What exactly? Just that, like people are still interested in this. Specific? Yeah, yeah. That, you know, it's a hard thing to survive. Show business is hard to survive. The yeah. art world is hard to survive. 
you don't think about the bullets whizzing around. You just keep your head down and keep flying forward, you know. Do you still find this specific format to to be interesting and rewarding? I still find new stuff and new th- new thrills from doing the war paintings, yeah. But, uh, recently, it's kind of taken you by surprise. Well, recently, I've stopped doing them on thrift st- found thrift store yeah. landscapes, and I'm doing them all from scratch now on canvas and doing my own backgrounds, so to speak. Because it's funny, you know, you hear you, you talk about the when you were first kind of figuring it out and you were doing the paintings, the words kind of entered into him, and then you were like, somebody's already done the hard work for me here. <laughs> that was the gag with the thrift store yeah. found found object thing, which has, you know, you could, you could that's a, a lot of meat to chew in the art world, you know, the found object, sure. uh, the re- reappropriation, you know, there's a whole theoretical history there. Did it feel a little weird initially that somebody had done this other work and that you were, you know, making, you know, a lot of money from that? I, I, yeah, I always have a little residual guilt about that. But, uh, but then again, you know, I don't deny it. And, and, uh, and the objects I paint on are practically worthless, you know, so they're one step away from the garbage can sometimes. So it's, it's important that they were copies that they're replicas. Oh yeah. No, I wouldn't paint on an originals. Uh, that was like, uh, that was a whole other concept. You know, there's like, that was like defacing something. Yeah. I'm, I'm a collage, you know, sort of like in the spirit of collage. And again, there's this whole rap about, you know, of repurposed and revitalized, blah, blah, blah. I don't know. It was just, I, all this stuff came after the fact, all my theorizing. I just did it as a, <laughs> as a as a dumbass gag, the first few times I did it, it's like it's like you know I'm I, I'm gonna either have to stand on stage or I'm or I'm gonna be at a gallery and I'm gonna have to explain to somebody why I did this thing. So that's when you start to connect the dots. Well, I, people just reacted to it right yeah. away. Visitors to my studio like nothing else I'd really done. That was so I knew there was something there. And, and like I always say too, sometimes you don't know what you got. You have to trust your own instincts ninety percent of the time. But sometimes you should listen. Watch other people's reactions, and it can kind of open a door for you. Uh, and that was definitely a case of that. Uh, I thought, okay, there's something there that I'm not quite seeing. I'm going to keep doing this. And here I am still doing it, and I'm still kind of like angling around it, not quite understanding it. And a lot of the times I'm getting really sick of doing it. But it's like writing, too. You can never get sick of writing if you wrote. And I consider myself a writer. There's always something new to say. I, I think of them as the world's shortest short stories mm. or poems, you know. What's the Hemingway one? Um, the three-word short story? Yeah. I, I wish Use I, baby shoes. Something like never, that. Baby shoes never, never used. Worn. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, and that's the way I, I see these things is writing. You know, I take on a, another character's voice sometime, uh, or I just like the way words sound, or like the way a word looks. And that's a very concrete kind of thing, the way it looks. When people talk about making comics, it's always this idea of, you know, it taking like a hundred times longer to, to write than it is to, to read. Um, this yeah. is the writing part of this is really, you know, I suspect that, that that comes in a second. Maybe editing is a big part of it. Editing is usually a big part of it, but it does, yeah, it comes fast. You have that phrase and you're standing in front of that phrase for a long time. Yeah. Maybe the phrase will come fast, but then it takes a long time for you to get up in the nerve to use it or you run a rope. It's never really fast. There's what does that mean? Get up the nerve to use it? Like- sometimes it's really stupid, <laughs> really stupid. And that, and that's a risk I take. I, I want to like just completely be inappropriate and stupid and see because it, that's why life life is inappropriate, you know. Have you put something down and afterwards you were just like, oh, I can't believe that. Well, I did one 
it's called goddamn fucked up piece of shit. You know? <laughs> and I thought, wow, that is so base and so inappropriate. Yeah. But I'm going to monumentalize it and see what kind of like frisson, what kind of tension comes from a gutter, a 10 cent gutter idea presented with a thousand dollar, a million dollars worth of yeah. skill and talent. You know, those bringing the two together, you know, opposites. Yeah. That's art, right? Just, just yeah. juxtaposing two different ideas. It is. That's the, that's the secret of art and life. It's just two things, two opposites coming together and forming something new. You guy from the South without any formal art training standing in an art gallery. Those are two opposite <laughs> yes, things absolutely. that have come together. And- I've seen it. I've lived it. You know, yeah. I've been from the, from the woods of Tennessee to the studios of Art Spiegelman, you know, that does, you don't get any more yeah. culturally, uh, uh, disjunctive than that, you know, uh, that, that's a principle in my life. Yeah. Of, of, of opposites. I always got the feeling and the thrift store paintings are part of this as well, that these kind of exist to be a commentary on art, the art world itself. Yeah. Somewhat. Again, I don't, to put a too fine a point on that, but yeah, it is. It's a, it's kind of, if, if I really want to get sociological about it, it's kind of a comment on class because that's the dirty secret of the art world. It is very much about class, both in the, the marketplace, the buyers and the artists themselves. You know, the artists that do best go to the best schools and they come from the upper middle class. You know, the, there's exceptions, but you know, it's, it's a very wealthy to upper middle class kind of world. And I come from a, you know, blue collar and lower, lower middle class. And so that's one thing, um, I guess I'm commenting on. I don't know quite what I'm saying. I'm just being honest that here I am. And maybe the, the, I see the thrift store painting is kind of representing me in a way. What gets to it is the fact that here's a thing that they can't sell for $10 in a thrift store. And if I put a little paint on top of it, it's, you know, a $10,000 yeah. item. Yeah, and it's a comment on the value of the artist. You know, it's like, that's what's kind of a, th- a thrilling little thought for me. It's like, I, I, I have something that rich people want. <laughs> <laughs> for all of their riches, they still yeah. don't have what I've got. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Something there's something that they can't yeah. make. For all of their yeah. worldly, exp- all, that, all that comfort and luxury... They still want something I got. So that's, that's kind of cool. You know, I would bring up, I would, when I was on the tour for the movie, I was talking about all this class stuff and people would get really upset. People would get like, Oh, uptight. Well, what are you talking about? Whoa, 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 Karl I mean, Marx. It's, what, it's interesting, know? right? I mean, it depends on who you're talking to. Like, you know, if you talk to like my cartoonist friends in New York, I'm sure they'd be all about it. They were, but like I'd be on like NPR or something and they would be like, Oh, what are you talking yeah. about? The world, the art world is, you know, we're liberals and blah, blah. No, you're yeah. not. You know, you're very, it's a, it's a class, it's class. It's always about class class whenever i'm in a plane i always like get this idea in my head that if we all if we all stop believing it can fly at the same time it's going to drop out of the sky like you know that feeling of just like certain things exist out of sheer willpower yeah and and shared consciousness and you know we were all trying you know we're all in on this so-called reality so play the you know i mean you know the gatekeepers in the art world you know you look at like you know coons or something you know you look at like at one of those big balloon animals and it's just like there's no inherent value here necessarily well yeah that's a that's that's a deep topic and i can't and i'm being a bit hypocritical to be kicking and screaming about class because that's the marketplace i'm in and uh i uh i've I exploit that and, you know, I'm part of it. But I just, uh, I get a kick out of 
coming from a different world and being in in that world and I shouldn't be so cocky about it because I'm playing the game too. So and this isn't the case across the board. Dali, for example, like was actually like a pretty funny guy, and some of his stuff was was funny. Like if you watch interviews with them, but I wonder why it tends to be so humorless. Well, I think there was a big takeoff in art schools in this country from the '50s on, and it became a class thing. And in upper, you know, kids that could afford to go to art school were the new art, were the new crops of artists, you know, and they, and they came as before that artists kind of came up through the hard knocks, you know, the, you know, de Kooning mm-hmm. and all those abstract expressionist guys, they were like hobos practically. Yeah. So there was this whole um, middle class takeover of the arts and it had to get more and more serious because it was an art educated, it was a college educated thing. And, uh, it lost a lot of humor, I think, there. But I don't know. It's always been uh, it's always been ridiculed as being humorless. Yeah, look at like uh, Warhol or something, and I and I wonder. I always get this weird feeling that people who have the means and the, the gatekeepers almost like like to be told to fuck themselves. Yeah, they do. Art's about being transgressive, definitely. That's part of its thrill, and that's part of the new about art that it is transgressive that it is like a something so-called shocking and people it's just a, it's a it titillates but uh hopefully there's more to it i mean i've certainly played on that oh i play that like a, i played that like a <laughs> i mean is that is that why there's just a big a big fuck in the middle of the yeah. landscape somewhere is that idea i yeah uh but you know everything loses its edge and its shock value yeah and but I I I don't I never per you know I was a punky kind of kid and all that stuff and I went through all the rebellion stuff and shocking people and enjoying that and I guess that's what drew me to underground comics and I've always had that part of my character but the older I get the more I see the use of fuck or whatever it's just life it's realism <laughs> I'm not trying to shock anymore I'm just trying to like show a piece of real life you yeah. know and oftentimes life is deflating. And, and things that are deflating are kind of funny. Most of the sort of best phrases that you have are ones that seem to be taken from a snippet of conversation. Absolutely. I get a lot of stuff from other people talking, the rhythms of just everyday banal life. I mean, let's face it, life is mostly boring and banal. It is. And that's funny. And art tries, and art is about elevating and, and, and uh, that's great. We need to be elevated, but it's funny when you elevate the banal and it's um, it's a truth kind of. You said earlier that you know everybody wants to make a mark, everybody wants to be remembered, which you know is, is certainly true. Would you be happy if the the word paintings are what people remember you for? Sure. <laughs> anything. I'll take anything. anything. No, but I mean, you know, you've done, you know, we're looking at this this I mean, this LBJ head is 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 amazing. Thanks. I yeah, I do a lot of stuff and I've done a lot of stuff. I would be a little disappointed if they only remembered me for the word paintings. Yeah, cuz it's it's just like one eighth of what I do. Is there something that you are particularly proud of amongst all of your work? Well, I'm certainly proud of my work on uh, television, yeah. Pee Wee's Playhouse, some rock videos I've done. You know, I've, I, and I've been rewarded for that. I've gotten Emmys and MTV awards and all that stuff. So I think I will be remembered for. <laughs> Let me see, what am I going to be remembered for? I'm, I'm proud of my TV work. I'm proud of my paintings. I love uh, the big puppet installations I've been doing for the last ten years. Yeah. Uh, I love all that stuff. I'm proud of it all. 
And uh, I think I've hammered away at enough of those things that I'll probably, I'll probably always be in the mix for me. The word pangs are definitely something that most people know me for, though, right now, I guess. Do you feel like your your work is, is continuing to evolve? I mean, are you still kind of going out of your way to, to try new things? No, it's over. It's, you're it's done? This is done. it? This is it. <laughs> <laughs> Hell yeah. you got to believe that. Like or what, it is over. What are you working on? So obviously, like, the word pangs are continuing to, to take up a big part. You said that there's – I mean, there's evolution – in that there as well. Yeah, I'm doing, I'm doing, I'm not doing them on thrift store stuff. I'm doing, I'm going to do a whole body of work that hopefully will be in a show early next year of the stuff on canvas, word paintings on canvas with skies and landscapes in the back. And, um, I'm also going to have a show in Nashville in the fall of, of figure drawings. I love figure drawing and I love to draw pictures of uh, old country music stars mm-hmm. from pit from mag from photos uh or are just from my imagination i I love drawing the figure loved i used to love drawing and painting the figure so that's something i'm keeping alive and i've been having uh this will be my second show in nashville i, I did have one at the country music hall of fame uh, last year and uh this is another one i'm having so i love that culture and i love kind of commenting on it with my my drawings so um yeah um those are two new newish kind of things I'm doing, and of course I'm all I'm always up for doing some giant puppets somewhere, either as a parade or as a installation. How do you figure out what what you need to be working on? Uh, I just uh, just hustle along, yeah. You know, whatever needs to be done. I, I usually I need a deadline. I need a show. I need a public showing. Something like the country music. It's, it's somebody approaching you with a project. That's my friend Daniel from Daniel Lanau from the Country Music Hall of Fame. Uh, yeah, we uh, cooked this one up. We did that one last year. And then I'm the, my, my New York gallery, Joshua Liner Gallery is going to give me a show early next year with uh, the word paintings and uh, I'm always kind of looking for the next chance to yeah. do the big puppets. So whatever, I, whatever deadline, that's how I structure, you know, whatever's coming up closest. You still feel like you're, you're hustling though in the same way oh, you always yeah. have. Always. Yeah. I'll never retire. You know, is that I, a, is that a good thing? <laughs> I used to think it was a good thing. The older <laughs> I get, the more I scratch my head about it. I mean, obviously you, you, you never want to stop. Oh, creating. I'll never stop making, I mean, people retire to do, to, to paint, yeah. you know, you're going to become an accountant when you retire. <laughs> of course, that's a, that's kind of a, bad analogy because you know it's hard work it's hard work making pictures you know that it is funny though that people consider that to be like a leisure thing i know i know no i i I don't want to stop well no it's i don't want to stop ever you still enjoy it yeah i do i still get a kick out of making a picture making uh thinking some you know making an an illusion do you feel like you've gotten to the picture in your head it's so it's so elusive it's so difficult to to get to that not really i don't think any yeah i know what you mean um i don't i haven't really entered any kind of nirvana that's for sure it's always hard to do it's always disappointing after you right after you finish always it's never then you step away for a few months and then it looks really pretty good or so, but it's, that's, that's just the thing I've learned to live with. I talked to a lot of parents who they're like, yeah, God, when I first had my baby, I was like, is he or she going to be this ugly? When they're infants, they're always really, they're terrifying, but then you get them a couple months and they're adorable. Yeah, right. And that's such, that's a human quality I find hilarious is disappointment. You <laughs> In know, your own. I mean, there's a painting right yeah. there. 
it says, uh, finally got there, wasn't so great. Yeah. I mean, that's the story of life, you know, and it's funny, you know, I, it's, it's hilarious, you know, people's dreams and, and, and me, meeting reality. <laughs> have you gotten better about that? Have you gotten, have you gotten better about being able to appreciate your own work? Of course. Don't uh, say of course. Cause... No, no, I want to say, of course I have. <laughs> no, I haven't. No. And I think, I think a, a lot of artists feel the same way and that's what keeps them on their game. And, uh, the, the fact that you haven't hit Nirvana is right. what keeps you going. It, 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 you, if you're really honest with yourself, you know you're a lifelong striver and student. You know, it's you never get there. <laughs> There you go. That was the great Wayne White. Just a tremendously entertaining conversation with an incredibly inspirational guy. Thanks so much to him for taking the time to do that. You can check out Wayne's stuff over at WayneWhiteArt.com or follow him on Twitter. That's at C. Wayne White. Thanks to him. Thanks to Mimi Pond, past guest Mimi Pond, for helping set up that conversation. Thanks to you guys, as always, for listening to the program. If you like the show, there are a number of ways to support us. You can rate and review us on iTunes, Google Podcasts. We're on Spotify. Spotify, uh, YouTube, Android, everywhere. Now like us on Facebook. Follow us on Tumblr. That's riylcast.tumblr.com. That's the first and best place to get all of your RIYL-related information. That's about all we got for this week, so stick around because we're going to be back at just about this time next week with another episode of RIYL.